We've been spending quite a few weeks on the last night of Jesus' life. We've taken a look at his spending the last supper with his disciples, instituting what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. He has been teaching them, and he continues to do so. The interesting thing is, is that there are times when people will speak for a while, we have a tendency to tune them out. Jesus has been teaching a lot. But the sad thing is, is that I don't know whether the disciples tuned him out or not, but it seems that those who study Jesus' words by this point have tuned him out. And the reason I say that is that there are some mistaken doctrines and views of God and some other things that some churches or denominations have tormented and others who, because of their relationship or lack of relationship to their Father and to God, uh, have this mistaken belief of who God is. And so as Jesus continues to teach, we're taking a look at, uh, at John chapter 15, starting with verse 23. And so as Jesus has been telling them that he's leaving, that he's going not to leave them as orphans, that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, is going to come, and the Holy Spirit is going to have a function in this this world and their lives. He's saying, in that day you will not question me. So he's talking about when I'm gone. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Now here's an important lesson. Words mean things and context means things. This is now the second time Jesus has talked about asking for things in his name. If those of you recall, um, I used an example of a credit card in a person's name saying, if you go and you make charges based on what that person has authorized you to do, then you've done it in their name. If you make purchases that are for you and not for them, then you've misused their name. And we have this tendency to, because that's how we've been taught and raised, that violating one of the commandments is that you shall not bear the Lord's name in vain. We think that we're not supposed to cuss. And while that's a good thing, and it's good not to use God's name that way, it's very much more, don't claim that you are something of his if you're not. You're naming that in vain. And so the context here is not asking for something as far as I want stuff. The context here is Jesus just talked about having questions and how the Holy Spirit and others will answer those questions for you. So the context is questions. It's not stuff. Secondly, the words show that when it says ask, that's why the the New American Standard Version talks about you will not question me about anything if you ask. It is to ask in the way of information. It is not to ask in the way of favor. 
So you cannot use this verse to say, gee, if I ask for anything in in Jesus' name, I'm going to get it. And so therefore, God, I really want a pony. In Jesus' name, amen. And somehow we think that by using Jesus' name, that that's like a, a magic lantern, and that we, when we, we say the, the special words, that God's got to perform. The context is, is when you're looking for information according to Jesus' purposes and who he is, then that will happen. So truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. So I want you to notice something. It's the Father who supplies the answers to the questions. But there are those denominations, and there are those who think that what you have to do is God is this angry God, and He just is looking for you to mess up. And so there are some denominations saying, well, what you got to do is you got to get Mary or some saint on your side. So you pray to that saint or you pray to Mary so that they'll get Jesus to want to be on your side because they're on your side. And then once Jesus is on your side, he'll convince the Father that you ought to get what you ought to get. Notice that that is not Jesus' teaching. Jesus is teaching, if you ask in my name, the Father, the Father will give it to you. You don't got to go through the saint and, the, and Mary and all these other people to get whatever it is you're talking to God about. That's kind of like the, the game where one person starts saying a, a sentence. You know, Mary had a little lamb. And then you whisper it to the ear. And it is amazing what happens after about 10, 15 people Mary has nothing to do with it. The lamb got butchered or something. And it's amazing what happens. So guess what? The more people you get involved with your prayer requests, the more likely it's to get messed up. When you ask God for something, ask Him. Don't need to ask me. Because I'll mess it up. Because I'll, I'll interpret it the way I think you ought to get it. So if you have a question, hopefully I would, when it comes to a question, I'll be a resource. But it's the Father who will give you the answer. And notice it doesn't say He might give it to you. He will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now, if you're familiar at all with the Scriptures, if you are looking in outside the context of, Lord, give me stuff, and that's how you're interpreting this, then it's going to smack you in the face. Because there were some who asked Jesus for something. It was John, who's writing this book, and James, and their mother. They came to Jesus and said, you know what? I think you ought to make us two and the mom says, my two boys, reign with you, one on the right and one on the left. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it to your discretion. I won't tell you whether it's got to be James or John on the right and the other one on the left. But they've asked for something. But they didn't ask it in Jesus' name. 
They asked it because it would further them. So in those people who say, well, you can get whatever you want, Jesus just said they asked, but they didn't ask in his name. But they did ask. The question here is, they've not asked for information in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, they tend to do the opposite. When Jesus makes a strange statement, they start talking amongst themselves. What's he talking about? And Jesus will often say, do you debate amongst yourself? In essence, he's going, I'm the source. I'm the one who told you. I'm the one who's teaching. Therefore, ask me. But they tend to do what we all tend to do. But notice that when you ask and when you receive so that your joy may be made full. All too often the reason that Christians are miserable is they have no clue what God's doing. Or they know what the pastor may say that God's doing. They may have their own preferences of what God's doing. Or may they may feel, as we kind of sung and as we sometimes all agree, even when I don't see that you're working, even when I don't feel that you're working, you're still working. See, those types of things, when you understand that God is who God is, and He's told us certain things, and He's promised us certain things, and He is who He was, and who He is, and who He'll always be, we can be made confident and have joy. Not partial joy, but full joy. So that your joy may be made full. So maybe, maybe, we need to seek God's answers to some of the things that we might be going through. I often say, there have been times in my life, and even now, where I just wish certain relationships were different or the people were different or whatever. And I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed and they don't seem to change. Which leaves me with one obvious answer. God wants me to. Maybe the point isn't whether they change or not. Maybe the point is that I depend on Him more. Maybe I rest in Him more. Maybe I be still in Him more. And let Him do what needs to be done in their life and in mine. That my joy may be made full rather than miserable. Verse 25, These things I have spoken to you in figurative language. An hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figurative language, but you will, will tell you plainly of the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I will not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. Jesus is telling I've, I've communicated to you and others by figurative language. And most of that figurative language has been parable. And part of the reason Jesus is taught in parables is because the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, had committed the unpardonable sin. They 
gave credit to Satan for what the Holy Spirit was doing. So Jesus says, I'm going to start teaching in parables so that they're hearing they won't understand. So as I teach in parables, they're going, well, it's, it's strange. And for us, we have the advantage because we come from the post-resurrection perspective. So when Jesus teaches a parable like, there's this owner of a vineyard and he has some people working it and he sends some of his slaves there to find out what's going on. They beat him and do all kinds of terrible things to him. And then he says, okay, I'll send my son because they'll respect my son. And, they, and the, the owner of the vineyard sends the son and the laborers there go, aha, if we kill the son, we get the vineyard. So let's kill the son and they kill the son. Now, that's a parable. But on the other side of the resurrection, we say, aha, father who owns this world and owns the vineyard sent a bunch of prophets to tell them to be corrected and they abused them. So he sent his son and they killed him. And we see that very same thing happen. It's no longer figurative to us. We see the truth of what he's teaching. But at that point, they're going, what does the vineyard have to do with anything? Just tell us what's going on. And so he's saying, Jesus said, there's coming time when I'm going to speak plainly to you. It's going to be obvious what I have to say. But notice, he says, that, I, that in that day you will ask in my name and I will not say to you that I will request of the Father on your behalf. Again, that teaching that there's somehow this intermediary between you and God, and so that you need to go to a priest or a pastor to get anything from God, is not what the Scriptures teach. Jesus says, I don't even have to ask God. Because God Himself loves you. Where do we get this idea that God is this angry God and is hacked off and wants us all to fail, and it's Jesus, this mild and meek and mild guy who always intercedes for us. The Scriptures all the way back in, in early Gospel of John, for God so loved the world that He sent Jesus. Jesus is saying, the Father loves you. He's not doing this because I ask Him to. He's doing it because He loves you. So maybe, just maybe, we got to believe that. I know it's hard. I know sometimes we mess up really bad and we sin and we do all kinds of terrible things. But your Father still loves you. He doesn't just say, well, you know, I love you. He sent His Son to pay for your sin. Now, I love the people here. And I'd probably be willing to die for you. 
Don't ask me to send my kids or my grandkids. Don't know if I love you that much. But God does. You see, I only know you partially. You only know me partially. You don't know the wickedness that's in my mind and in my heart. You think I'm this holy guy. At least some of you do. My wife knows different. That's what's amazing why she loves me. Okay, That's why I think God's going to give her Malibu. If there is a sea, she's going to get that. But God knows every thought in your brain and loves you. So this whole concept that you got to get somebody on your side, some saint or Mary or whatever, to get Jesus on your side so that somehow he'll talk God into doing something is blasphemy. God the Father loves you. Oh, it sounds simple. How come we can't get it through our head and our heart? For the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me and have believed that I came forth from the Father. You see, the reason the Father loves you is not just because He's your Creator. Because He created everything. The reason that God loves His people is because they're His people. God loves you because you believe in Jesus and that God sent him. Verse 28, I came forth from the Father and have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. So Jesus is now no longer talking about parables or figurative language. He says, I came from God, the Father, which means I'm equal with and was with him. And I've been hanging out with you guys for about three and a half years. Been on this earth about 30 plus, 33 plus years. And I'm going back. I'm not just going to some paradise. I'm going to the Father. His disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking plainly and are not using figure of speech. There you go. Oh, we get it. All this time you've been talking about sons and fathers and, and owners of vineyards and slaves and masters. We're starting to get it. That you're from the father. The father is the owner. You're the son. You're the rightful heir. You've come to us and you're going back to him. It's starting to make sense now. Now we know that you know all things and have no need for anyone to question you. By this we believe that you came from God. They made a statement when Jesus had talked about that they, they could have no part of him unless they ate his flesh and drank his blood. And there were a, a lot of the disciples who took off saying, that's a hard statement. We, we can't, we're done. And those 12 were still there. 
And he goes, you're not leaving too? And they said, no one else has the words of life. They understood that Jesus was the Word. That Jesus was life. That He was the way. The truth. And they knew that no one else was. And so they were there. And so now all of a sudden, this light is shining. All these kind of little inklings of faith now bloom full. You know all things. And have no need for anyone to question you. We don't need further discussion as to who you are. By this we believe you came from God. And Jesus answered them, do you now believe? Have you really gotten it? Do you do now have faith? Behold, an hour is coming. And has already come for you to be scattered each to his own home. And to leave me alone. And that yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus says, I'm, I'm telling you some more things that are going to happen. In just a short period of time, hour or two, he's going to be arrested. They're going to make an apparent brave stand. They're going to take off. And they're going to fear for their lives. And Jesus, that hour is coming. And you're going to be scattered. And it will appear that I am alone, but I am not. Because Jesus, the Father is with me. Which makes Jesus even more Emmanuel, God with us. And because Jesus is going and because He is leaving the Holy Spirit, we are never alone. God is always with us. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. I'm telling you this ahead of time. Because none of these things that are going to happen are taking me by surprise. As a matter of fact, this is the very reason I came. As a matter of fact, the world's going to assume that it's got a great victory. But it hasn't. He's telling us, telling them, no matter what the circumstances may appear, have peace. He's going to tell them again why in just a moment. I don't know what's happening in your life, and your, and your life may be beautiful right now. But I know this about life. It comes kind of like a roller coaster. There's some highs, there's some lows, and there's some scary drops. Some of you love it and think it's great. Some of you would rather be unmarried. Even that, the horse moves up and down and you're not too thrilled with that. When life is a roller coaster and you're tumbling towards the bottom, have peace. 
Because I'm with you on the way down. I'm with you on the way up. Nothing is going to harm you. It's just circumstance. And when Jesus, their friend, their Lord, their teacher, their rabbi, their Messiah, when these things are about to happen to them, he's going to take a deep breath. Have peace. Not the peace the world offers you, but the only the peace that God gives you. Because we say this and we say this, and sometimes we kind of say it flippantly, hoping it's the case, but God is sovereign. And so he's going to tell them something that is no surprise to you or them. In the world you will have tribulation. There's going to be trouble. There's going to be trouble in this life, for those who are not believers, because everybody gets sick, everybody has money problems, everybody has life common difficulties. But on top of that, those of us who are believers will have more because the world, as Jesus has told us, hates us. They're not indifferent to us. They hate us. Biblical hate is indifferent. To prefer one over another is to love one and to hate the other. But there's more than just biblical hate from the world. They hated him, and therefore they hate us. So in this world, we are going to have tribulation. But take courage. Now when I see this, I suspect Jesus should have been how God talked to Joshua before he took the promised land. I didn't go back and count, but there are numerous times when God keeps telling Joshua to take courage. Take courage. Take courage. Sometimes all we need is just a little courage. The difference between victory and defeat may be just a little courage. And the reason that they can take courage in this tribulation of life, whether it's sickness or hatred by the world, because Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Now he's saying this before it appears he's overcome the world. Because when he says this, we haven't yet seen them arrest him. We haven't seen them beat him. They haven't seen him mock him. We haven't seen him scourged. We haven't seen him crucified. We haven't seen him dead. We haven't seen him laid in a grave. And yet he's still saying before all of this, I have overcome the world. So when you are in the circumstances, it seems that you are in the midst of defeat. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We are all overcomers, but we are not overcomers because we are overcomers. We are overcomers because He overcame. When I become victorious, it's not because I was strong enough or courageous enough, but because He overcame the world. 
We need to get our eyes more on Him and less on us. More on what He has done than the situation we're in. More of His power and strength and not ours. That's why we need to be asking in His name for information about the Word of God and His promises and His sovereignty and who He is and that He loves us and that He cares for us and that He sent His Son for us and all these things Because there will come a time and may now be where when Paul said we are of all men most to be pitied. And yet we are of all men least need of pity because we have one who's overcome. We have one who loves us. We have one in three who love us. We have a father that loves us, who sent his son. We have a son who loves us and died for us. And we have a Holy Spirit who keeps pointing to him, saying what he did and how he loved and trust him and dwells in us that we may have joy. So because he has overcome I will not be shaken. I will not quake in my boots. Oh, they may do what to me what I don't want and what I may be fearful most of. But even so, He has over.